Hello, I'm Michael Hainsworth. The gig economy worker has been doing much of the heavy lifting during COVID-19, delivering everything from Amazon packages to dinner. But when one loses their job, they fall through the employment insurance holes in Canada's social safety net. The Liberal government's throne speech prior to Budget 2021 called for a modernization of EI for the 21st century, including possible provisions for the self-employed gig economy worker. The actual budget did not specify any new provisions, but did announce consultations on reform. Author David Gray asks, should gig workers be covered by the EI regime? Before we answered that question, we stepped back to define our terms. Who is a gig economy worker? Given the apparent lack of consensus in both the scientific literature and the public forum, I rely on a fairly recent authoritative U.S. study by Abraham et al., uh, 2018. Quote, Borrowing uh, from the music industry, we define gig employment as one-off jobs in which the workers are paid for a particular task uh, or for a defined period of time. A gig worker is not paid a wage or salary, does not have an explicit or implicit contract for a continuing work relationship, and does not have a predictable work schedule or predictable earnings when working. Applying this definition to the characteristics we have assigned to the various work arrangements, Independent contractors and freelancers, day laborers, and on-demand or platform workers should be considered to be gig workers. Do we have any clarity, though, on how many gig workers there actually are, like what percentage of the workforce they make up? The study is uh, uh, slightly uh, dated, uh, 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 Statistics Canada uh, uh, paper, uh, using the uh, uh, very well-known and highly reputed uh, labor uh, force survey. And uh, 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 let's see uh, uh, what percentage. Oh, yes. Uh, from 2005 to 2016, the percentage of the labor force represented by gig workers rose from 5.5% uh, up to 8.2%. Uh, 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 so that dates back uh, uh, five years or so. Oh, and I just found a passage uh, for the definition. You were asking me about the definition. Here's what I was looking for. The four no's. No wage or salary. No stability of the employment relationship. No fixed work schedule and no predictable earnings. That's pretty, that's pretty good, I think. Of the two possibilities for providing employment insurance coverage that you investigated, you found neither were economically feasible? Well, let's talk first about integrating workers into the standard regular EI benefit regime, like the special benefits for self-employed workers available for fishers. Why wouldn't this work? Uh, that is the closest uh, uh, analog uh, we can find within uh, uh, the uh, overall framework of EI uh, uh, Part 1. 
with uh, uh, special benefits. Uh, uh, they were made voluntary, and the take-up rate was very, very, very low, and so you uh, end up with essentially uh, a, a shell program uh, uh, that is there in the books, uh, but hardly uh, anyone is uh, uh, taking up uh, the uh, benefits. But then if we were to uh, make it uh, uh, mandatory, uh, I argue uh, uh, that a lot of uh, these uh, uh, gig uh, uh, positions uh, uh, would just go under the table. It would uh, create uh, uh, a total uh, tax evasion, uh, uh, not just evasion from the unemployment insurance uh, uh, contributions. Uh, so either way, uh, we would encounter uh, uh, enormous uh, resistance Distance, uh, from either uh, many of the gig workers themselves uh, uh, and or uh, many of the employers uh, uh, of gig workers. They would find ways to get around it. And how much of that is because an employer would be having to pay those insurance premiums and would choose not to? They, they are hiring gig economy workers in the first place for a reason. Yes, and one of the reasons why they hire them is to free themselves from obligations of contributing to unemployment insurance, you know, and the other payroll taxes that exist. A full-time salaried employee who loses their job has a clearly defined level of weekly insurable earnings. But it sounds like the very nature of gig work makes it difficult to determine the dollar value associated with the loss of work, let alone that the loss of work was not the fault of the gig economy worker. It's just the nature of that employment is different. Very. Uh, very different and the uh, extremely high variability of earnings uh, indeed uh, makes it very difficult to uh, determine a, a base uh, for uh, uh, insurable earnings. So how much will be uh, covered? Uh, that's very, that's difficult to determine. And I can imagine the other element of it as well is the end of that working relationship, how did that come to be? And in a full-time employee salaried sort of situation, there seems to be well-defined rules as to what qualifies for EI and what doesn't. How do we know that a gig worker who is no longer employed just ran out their time with the company versus the company decided to cut short their relationship? Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, for conventional uh, employment relations, uh, at least uh, in theory and according to the rules, uh, if, if someone quits their job, uh, they are just simply not eligible. It has to be an involuntary uh, layoff, an involuntary uh, separation. Uh, whereas uh, with gig work, uh, that's just the nature uh, of the, the beast. Uh, both parties uh, uh, have agreed uh, uh, on the temporary nature uh, of the gig. Now, of course, there are those who would say that the gig worker is uh, making this uh, uh, choice not in voluntary uh, uh, fashion, uh, but uh, uh, rather is being uh, rationed, is being constrained in the labor market. Uh, but 
Duck, uh, it seems as though there are some gig workers uh, uh, who really prefer the uh, uh, very high degree of uh, flexibility. And remember that some of the gig workers uh, uh, have uh, regular jobs. They might even have a uh, full-time standard job or a part-time standard job. So there are not all that many that depend entirely on gig work. I was fascinated to learn that it like something like 75% of those who are, are gig workers do have other jobs and that the majority of a gig of gig workers when you look at the the tax data that comes in from CRA on a year over year basis that many of the people who are in the gig economy in one year will not be in the gig economy the next year. Do we have any clarity as to why they're not still in the gig economy? Um that's a very good question. I mean, uh, hopefully, yeah, uh, they have uh, either transitioned to more attractive uh, uh, employment uh, uh, relationships, or it's conceivable that they might have voluntarily withdrawn from the labor force uh, uh, for a while. Uh, that would uh, be uh, uh, quite an ambitious uh, study in order to uh, really uh, learn about the dynamics uh, of the gig uh, labor market, uh, uh, we would uh, need uh, the, uh, to have what's called longitudinal data. Uh, so we would need to uh, uh, start uh, uh, with a sample of gig workers, hopefully a representative sample of gig workers, and follow them uh, uh, over time. Uh, as frequently as possible in order to really get a grip on these uh, transitions in and out of uh, gig work. The study that uh, I was aware of that I drew upon in order to conduct this study was a, uh, a one-time uh, uh, survey. And it would be really, really good uh, uh, to be able to uh, conduct that survey again. Uh, perhaps... Perhaps Statistics Canada will do so. It would not surprise me if it's their intention to uh, conduct further studies uh, regarding gig work. You write of moral hazard behavior. Let's explain that and how it factors into this issue. Well, that uh, is a... Uh, uh, term which is generic for uh, all types of insurance and not just unemployment insurance. Uh, and so perhaps I should make an analogy towards either auto insurance uh, or uh, uh, home insurance. Uh, moral hazard refers to the degree to which uh, uh, the insuree might have some control uh, uh, over the probability of loss uh, or the uh, uh, size of the loss. Uh, so uh, for the uh, worker, what this means is that if the worker knows that he or she is covered by unemployment insurance, uh, uh, they might not uh, do everything they possibly can uh, uh, to avoid getting laid off or if they are receiving benefits uh, uh, to uh, find a new work as soon as possible. But we can also have moral hazard behavior on the part of firms. And this is what we witness uh, sometimes with seasonal employment, uh, where uh, firms 
uh, will lay off workers uh, uh, when business uh, isn't really good, knowing full well that those workers uh, are covered by unemployment insurance benefits and are unlikely to leave the firm forever. So uh, both parties are capable of engaging in moral hazard behavior. Let's talk then about the second option of creating a boutique regime for gig workers. You don't think that would work. You looked at how, for example, France handles the entertainment industry there. Oh, yeah, that is a a famous and an infamous uh, uh, program, uh, which uh, is also very, very politically charged, uh, uh, very controversial and very, very uh, expensive. What happens is uh, that we could. Uh, Technically, I think it would be possible to create a special regime uh, for uh, uh, gig workers. I don't think it would be the Canadian way uh, to restrict it to only uh, arts uh, and entertainment. But actually, we do have a special regime, come to think of it, for fishers. So maybe I'll walk back on that claim uh, slightly. Uh, But uh, uh, these uh, uh, boutique regimes are very, very highly uh, insolvent. uh, And so they are uh, heavily cross-subsidized by uh, all the other workers and all the other firms that are contributing into the UI uh, system. And uh, these workers end up with a much, much higher degree of coverage than uh, most uh, other workers do. So if you were to consider uh, the people who are covered by Intermittent de Spectacle program, uh, they have much, much greater coverage uh, than other French workers uh, who are engaged in non-standard employment. So if you compare uh, these interim workers who are covered with the regime with their counterparts, so these are other people, these are people with other types of non-standard uh, uh, employment uh, patterns, it just appears to be grossly uh, inequitable. I, I wonder about the, that inequity, though, in, in, funded largely by other workers in other industries. And their employers. Right, and their employers. But what? why not sit, take a page from, from Medicare? You know, I'm healthy, but I'm helping pay the medical bills of those who are sick. And I may never find myself in in a hospital, but we're helping those in that social safety net. Why not have the entire employment community help the gig worker who quite likely wants to find themselves in a full-time salaried position, but they're in the gig economy because they can't find one? Well, Medicare is uh, funded by general uh, uh, revenues, uh, and so it's a very different type of social uh, insurance program. Uh, what you're talking about there, I believe, uh, would amount to an income maintenance uh, uh, program with uh, much more uh, universal uh, uh, coverage. Uh, If we were to take that route, uh, uh, then there's no way that the benefits uh, uh, would be as high as they are uh, uh, for the beneficiaries of this particular uh, regime. Which is exactly why uh, uh, 
uh, we've never really had uh, a reform of uh, you know frequent use of unemployment uh, uh, insurance. Uh, and frequent users, uh, they for, for them the unemployment insurance regime is essentially an income maintenance program. It is not uh, uh, really an employment insurance uh, uh, program. And uh, one of the reasons why reform is resisted is because uh, the uh, workers know that they would end up with benefits much less generous than what they're getting now. You, you just wouldn't have the uh, cross uh, subsidies uh, uh, that, that you would uh, uh, that you do see in the program as it's structured now. So the broader the coverage, uh, the less generous the benefits will be. So then let's come back to that boutique regime idea and the example that you use of France with the entertainment industry. Is it really, though, apples to apples or apples to oranges to compare an entertainment industry performer or a gaffer to someone driving for Uber Eats? I bet you that someone who's driving for Uber Eats uh, uh, would uh, uh, say, oh, uh, this is highly, highly inequitable. You're just not treating us uh, 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 fairly. So they would certainly aspire to the same level of coverage that we would find in some uh, boutique program. The Me Too, you would definitely uh, uh, have... uh, perhaps hundreds of thousands of workers uh, 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 screaming, me too, why do they get the gold-plated EI coverage and we don't? Now, both the liberal government's speech from the throne before budget 2021 had called for the modernization of EI, and the conservatives also had a platform plank in the last election on this. There appears to be political will to address the gig economy. What's your conclusion about how to go forward? First thing we would need uh, would uh, be an update on the situation for uh, gig workers. Uh, uh, remember that uh, uh, many of them, perhaps most of them, uh, ended up uh, uh, with uh, a half-decent uh, uh, coverage during the pandemic. So we can only talk about the pandemic uh, uh, going forwards. And by the way, my uh, uh, daughter uh, uh, is uh, in the performance industry. She's aspiring to be an opera singer. So she certainly lost out during the pandemic. And so she is more or less a gig worker. And and she actually didn't really need any coverage at all until the pandemic came along. So once the pandemic is finally over, uh, uh, hopefully, uh, many of the gig workers uh, just won't need coverage uh, like they did uh, during the uh, uh, pandemic. I also mentioned a number of other possibilities. Uh, a program which uh, uh, never existed uh, uh, but has been uh, recommended uh, in the past, uh, a TUA. Temporary Unemployment uh, Assistance. Uh, This program uh, does not exist, but it has been uh, recommended in the past. Uh, uh, That would uh, provide uh, temporary income assistance uh, for unemployed uh, 
usually in the form of a loan uh, so that uh, uh, someone perhaps uh, uh, could uh, retrain uh, uh, for some other occupation or some type of work. So that is a measure that I think we should take another uh, look at uh, again. And then there's also the uh, regulatory uh, approach, uh, you know, the sort of uh, uh, legal approach. Uh, where do you draw the line between uh, independent work and dependent work? You know, there are any number of different types of self-employed uh, workers. Uh, gig workers are not the only self-employed workers. We do divide them into uh, incorporated and unincorporated uh, self-employed. But beyond that, there are uh, different grades of it. It's kind of uh, uh, heterogeneous. Uh, and uh, it might be possible on the margins to uh, change regulations and uh, pass legislation uh, in efforts to convert some of these really vulnerable uh, uh, workers uh, in these gig-type positions uh, into dependent employment. So I think that there is room for some reform at the margin. Uh, but remember that the employers are going to vociferously resist any attempt to alter the status uh, uh, of their contingent uh, workers, of their gig workers. But I think that some progress can be made at the margins uh, along those lines. But is that enough to help that gig economy worker weather a rough time? No. No, that will not be enough for the reason that I just gave. Uh, uh, the uh, employers uh, will tell you, uh, you know, you mentioned Uber and uh, Lyft. Uh, they'll tell you that their business model just can't possibly uh, withstand a major change uh, in the uh, legal status uh, of uh, their contractors. Do you believe that? Well, somewhat ironically, uh, the state of California held uh, one of their hundreds and hundreds of uh, a citizen referendum. And uh, it seems as though, uh, you know, it, when you were interviewing uh, citizens of California, uh, they said, oh, yes, we think that gig workers should be paid uh, uh, better. Uh, we really feel badly. Uh, they're in a sorry a lot, those gig workers. When the votes were counted, uh, the citizens of California voted in favor of the status quo. They backed up the management of Uber. Go figure. My point is, is that, uh, yes, it's, it seems to be very problematic in practice uh, to bring about major regulatory change. It sounds to me like you're saying gig economy workers can't expect any help anytime soon. Oh, I don't think uh, I would go that far any help anytime soon. Uh, but uh, uh, the uh, modifications or the reforms that uh, I do mention uh, are, uh, I suppose, uh, uh, 
at the margin, uh, and uh, uh, we're not going to uh, carry out a, a revolution. Uh, despite uh, what you see in some of the uh, uh, headlines, uh, uh, there was a parliamentary committee uh, that uh, released its report. Uh, I actually testified, uh, along with many others, for this committee. You know, they say, well, we've got to cover gig workers. It's just far more complicated than that, much uh, more easily said uh, than done. David, thank you so much for your time and your insight today. You are welcome. David Gray is a professor of economics at the University of Ottawa. Still to come from a physically distant C.D. Howe Institute, November 4th, achieving net zero by 2050 in Canada. We'll discuss the challenges and opportunities with GE Canada's CEO, Heather Chalmers, Imperial Oil VP, Sherry Evers, and Tiffany Vass, an energy analyst at the IEA. And November 25th, reviewing the Innovation Superclusters Initiative, success or failure? Polytechnique Montreal's Dr. Catherine Beaudry and Daniel Herman of the Ontario Ministry of Colleges and Universities will join John Nubley, the former Deputy Minister of Innovation, Science and Economic Development Canada, to discuss the answer. I'm Michael Hainsworth. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the C.D. Howe Institute podcast with Michael Hainsworth. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The C.D. Howe Institute is an independent, not-for-profit research institute whose mission is to raise living standards by fostering economically sound public policies. The Institute is widely considered to be Canada's most influential think tank and a trusted source of essential policy intelligence, distinguished by nonpartisan, evidence-based research and subject to definitive expert review. Visit cdhow.org and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.